the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast, your weekly view on the stories shaping shipping. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. We're coming to you from Singapore this week, which seems to be the epicenter of all the big stories in the last seven days. I'm delighted to say that I'm uh, once again joined by podcast regular Sishin Chen, our China editor, James Baker, our containers editor, and our newest recruit, Vincent Wee, our new Asian news editor. Welcome, gents. Good morning. Good to be here. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Uh, great to be on board. And just joined. Well, very good to have you, Vincent. Uh, now, the slightly croaky voices rather give away the fact that the Lloyd's List annual Asia-Pacific Awards finished in the early hours of this morning, but uh, between the parties... You guys have been scurrying between meetings and conferences and seminars all week. We've had the big container conflab down at Global Liner Shipping. Uh, digital disruption and dirty data has been back on the menu and a lot of focus on the shipping fallout from the trade war. But of course, all roads lead right now to 2020. And uh, with the big bunker bash SIPCON here in Singapore next week, there's an awful lot of talk around scrubbers, fuel availability and surcharges. So uh, where to start? Um, start with the... Trump and the trade war tariffs. Good name for a band, not so good for shipping. Um, Sijin, I saw a quote uh, from one of your stories earlier in the week. You said the latest tariff round worth $200 billion of Chinese imports hits the container industry exactly where it hurts. So what's been the buzz around the conference circuits this week? What's the trade war latest? Uh, obviously, I mean, with the uh, latest round of US, ter- uh, US tariff on Chinese goods, uh, obviously, there are a lot of talks uh, about uh, you know the the, the headache uh, last week. I mean, according to some of the analysts, that latest trade tariff is going to affect fifty eight percent of the container trade uh, from China to U.S. And if you include China's uh, retaliation measures, uh, that tally will goes up to uh, nine million TEU. So that's quite a lot of uh, volume, actually, mm. uh, to be affected. There's some talk around the impacts and fallout in intra-Asia trade as well. What's, what's the sort of thinking around that? We've been actually uh, hearing like carriers say that, uh, oh, don't worry about the trade war, because uh, if uh, China's export uh, drop, it will probably uh, switch to uh, other Asian countries, such as Vietnam. So in that sense, uh, the intra-Asia trade might actually get a boost uh, as a result of the uh, U.S. tariff on Chinese goods. But apparently, it's not uh, the entire story, mm. uh, especially I mean in the beginning, uh, because the supply chain centered on China in this region is very, very complicated. So there's no way that you can, for example, uh, switch a supply chain from China to other countries overnight. So we, 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 we are expecting a certain level of uh, disruption in that area. Mm. Also, in, in, in the longer run, then uh, we are talking about, uh, yes, even though you know, part of the uh, supplies will be uh, shifting to other countries in Southeast Asia, then still, uh, overall, I mean, inter-Asia trade, according to some analysts, is going to lose some volume to, for example, Germany, Italy, uh, India, which we've already seen signs uh, during the last rounds of trade war when you know, China's imports to U.S. dropped quite significantly, while exports from those countries to uh, U.S. actually uh, uh, rise quite, uh, quite, 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 quite large, quite mm. usually. So 
that is uh, the second thing. The last thing some of the analysts are talking about is the uh, reshoring and uh, nearshoring. Obviously, the tariff will actually uh, encourage those kind of processes mm. uh, to basically uh, drive manufacturing bases back to the U.S. or to some of the uh, nearby you know, countries like Mexico. Mm. So that is, uh, uh, according to one of the analysts, the worst thing that the container shipping industry want to see. <laughs> Which, you know, in the grand scheme of uh, many things that the container industry doesn't want to see right now is, 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 is forming part of a fairly long list. Uh, James, you've been um, whining and dining with some of the big beasts from the box sector this week. What's, what's keeping them awake at night at the moment? Well, I mean, uh, just to follow on on the trade war, I mean, there are a couple of other issues there. I mean, shipping by its nature is obviously, um, it, it can take its assets wherever they need to go. That's one advantage that the carriers have. If there is a shift in, you know, if the exports do shift to India or Malaysia, for example, that doesn't really matter. The carriers will just pick up the cargoes there and take them elsewhere. We got one presentation uh, from Michelle Lutens at Seabury Consulting showing how just taking one item of washing machines and how imports to America of washing machines had sort of gone from Germany until tariffs were put on, then to South Korea when tariffs were put on, then China, then the tariffs were put on. They're now going to Vietnam and Thailand. And so his argument was that you know, the supply chain issue is not as bad as, as it's made out to be because instantly... The, those production of those products has gone straight to another country virtually the minute that, that um, tariffs have, have been applied. Yeah. Um, the only issue with shifting um, production to places like Vietnam rather than China or to Thailand for the carriers is that the ports there and the inland infrastructure is not so good. You can only get smaller vessels into a lot of the harbours and ports terminals there. So what we may see is a lot more feedering activity going on in in Southeast Asia particularly, where goods from, um, say, Malaysia or Thailand or from Vietnam uh, are shipped down to Singapore and put onto the motherships there and then, or, or taken taken across the Pacific um, or into the U.S. markets on, on larger ships there. So there's, there's some interesting sort of possibilities out there still. But the other thing that, of course, is really um, hitting the market this week has been um, with the sulfur cap uh, coming on, uh, carriers have come out and said that they just simply can't afford to take the hit on this. We're looking at a $50, $60 billion hit for the entire shipping industry. This is going to have a massive effect on, um, bearing in mind that most container lines have made no profits for the last several years, being hit with you know up to a billion dollars worth of additional costs, which many of the lines, I think most said it was going to cost $2 billion a year mm-hmm. in additional fuel costs. They're saying that they just have to recover that from their customers. Maersk, uh, MSC and CMA, CGM have all in the last week put out new bunker adjustment formulas that are going to seek to draw back that, those costs from the customers. Um, already we're starting to see resistance from the customers. Global Shippers Forum, the British uh, International Freight Association, among others, have already put out strongly worded statements saying that they, uh, they they think that the carriers should be carrying more of the weight. But uh, it's going to be a very interesting 18 months um, as we as we lead up to IMO 2020. There's going to be some very tough contract negotiations going on as we start the new contracting season earlier next year. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is the, 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 the fundamental issue facing, I think, all of shipping right now, is how, how do you account for 2020? And more importantly, how do you account for that that hard switch. Uh, we've seen a lot of quite heated debates in, in, in the run-up to the next uh, MEPC meeting at the IMO, the Marine Environment Protection Committee, because we've seen 
uh, the emergence of a, a paper coming out uh, last week, effectively asking for a, a period of adjustment where ship owners wouldn't be unduly penalised. Now, uh, depending on your viewpoint, that's either a pragmatic response to uh, the disruption and the switchover that is going to be problematic, uh, and, and realistically we don't know whether there is going to be the availability of fuel or indeed the quality of fuel for, for shipping to continue from the 1st of January 2020. Um, but for those people who have invested billions of dollars collectively in terms of scrubbers to be uh, given a hard start on, on the 1st of January, that looks a lot like market skewing tactics from people who haven't bothered investing. Um, I wouldn't have wanted to be somebody who spent a lot of money on scrubbers and only to find out that my competitors have got six months grace on, on, yes. on using HFO. Which we should point out is, is, is absolutely not what the authors of that paper are suggesting. They uh, have been very categorical on many occasions um, with some of their lawyers involved that uh, you know they are not looking for any deferment, they are not looking for any delays. This is just a pragmatic response in terms of how the industry deals with a, a fundamental problem. I think you know if you look uh, from the uh, other angle, a lot of the carriers are not just uh, sort of choose between scrubbers or loads of the fuel. They're actually exactly. betting on the both sides. It's it's more like uh, you know you are going to uh, uh, to do some investment. You have a portfolio of uh, assets. You have some gold, some U.S. dollars. Um, so people actually who can benefit from. Uh, uh, some, what I mean is that even though those people who actually install scrubbers are part of their fleet, they probably still um, are looking, they, they might still benefit from a, a so-called experience building period where actually, you know, a lot of the uh, few issues can be solved. Mm. Actually, I think from the legal side, the maritime legal side as well, there's been uh, comments about um, this uh, changeover issue. Mm. And um, I've heard I've actually comments from uh, some of the leading lawyers in Hong Kong mm. uh, that have suggested that we actually need to look at the software behind it, look at the actual contracts um, as this takes place. Mm. And that, that's possibly one of the things that hasn't actually been looked at uh, so much. Well, I think it's one of the many details that does need to be investigated. I mean, one of the uh, uh, the main things concerning, I, I guess, the approach from, from Maersk and, and CMA, CGM and, and MSC with the, with the new BAFs um, has been to account for that complexity in terms of how you deal with a switchover. You've got long-term contracts that are going to straddle, uh, you know, from here past 2020. That's that's looking like a complicated scenario in terms of how you pass on those costs. Um, now, the shippers inevitably are not going to like it, but we've got to be realistic here that, uh, you know, we can't, uh, you know, have a, a just a, a start-stop on, on, on these things. And uh, the industry needs to account for the fact that fuel is going to become fundamentally more expensive to deal with post-2020. It's becoming increasingly uh, stratified now in terms of heavy uh, fuel oil and, and, and the low sulfur varieties. I'm expecting a lot of discussion next week out of Sibcon uh, from the refiners coming back with uh, some commitments. I think we've seen uh, Exxon come out this week with the, the launch of a new low sulfur fuel unit. So we're going to hear some more from them early next week be interesting to see what the refineries and the fuel suppliers are coming out with next week because a lot of the concerns coming from the ship owners has really been based around the fact that they just don't know that the refineries are going to be able to deliver on the 1st of January. And there's the issue that there's no set standard yet for, as, as there is for you know, 380, Precisely. for the actual quality content of the fuel. And one of the things we heard was a, a warning that if you, know, if you, you bunker in, 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 say, Singapore and get a certain quality of fuel and then again 
um, top up in Rotterdam, mm. with you could end up blending fuels and having all sorts of issues with different standards and qualities of mm. fuels. Um, somebody was even advising getting you know dual tanks put in, dual bunker tanks put in any new buildings to try and avoid this potential cross contamination between. Mm. Well, the contamination issue is, is, is real. I mean, we, in the last month, we've seen a couple of fuel contamination cases here in Singapore. They stemmed from Houston. Um, now, it's not a new issue for shipping. We've had fuel contamination problems for, for decades. But the recent spate of uh, contamination has really highlighted quite how fragile a supply chain the bunker supply is. Now, if you are going to be in a situation where more blending is taking place, there is a lack of international standardization. Uh, fuel testing is not standardized. Um, you know, it, it, I, there is real cause for concern for shipping here. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the, you know, the, the refiners, the oil majors, and everybody else starts um, responding to some of those concerns next week. Hopefully, mm-hmm. it's going to be positive news, but we'll, uh, we'll see. We're going to be going back to the podcast next week with a wrap-up from SIPCON, so I'm not going to second-guess some of the things that are going to come out. But, uh, yeah, interesting times. Tune in next week for more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we will leave the podcast there. But as I said, we'll come back next week with some uh, some, some more from uh, Asia. Uh, you're all here for a, for a few more days, so we're going to be uh, covering a little bit more. Um, Vincent, you're heading back to Hong Kong with Sichuan, and uh, James and I are heading back to London. So uh, we will be back next week. Thanks very much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye.